You're listening to the Flow Theory Podcast. Please give a warm welcome to the Flow Theory Podcast, Mr. Ryan Broyles. He was a two-time consensus All-American in Oklahoma in 2010 and 2011. First team All-Big 12 and now sits third all-time in NCAA career receptions with 349. Please give a warm welcome to the podcast, Ryan Broyles. How's it going, Ryan? Hey, I'm good, man. I appreciate the intro. Well, thanks a lot for coming on. We'll just go ahead and jump right into it. Let's talk about some of your favorite moments of being in the zone in your We'll really talk mostly about your Oklahoma days, but I want to talk about the whole premise of this podcast is really to talk about moments of flow and to talk to elite athletes about their moments in the flow state. So just, I know you had a lot of amazing <laughs> moments at Oklahoma, but talk to me about a few different games that really stand out to you in particular. Yeah, man. Like you said, I've got a lot, man. So I'll try to make this um, as short and simple as possible, man. So I guess 2008, my redshirt freshman year was the first game that I ever played. We're at home here in Norman, Oklahoma versus Cincinnati. Well, I don't even know what Bobcats, I believe. I don't even know what they are. But yeah, Cincinnati, they had the Bearcats. There we go. Yeah, so many logos and all that good stuff over the years. But yeah, they had All-American defensive backs. Obviously, I played receiver. And first game out there, um, really the first play out the gate, it was like third and I don't know, third and short. I catch a flat pass around the 50-yard line. I catch it. I run past two of their best defenders for about a 40-yard gain. Second play of my collegiate career, I catch a touchdown pass. And so I was really in the zone at that point, man. And it really catapulted me into to building confidence and gaining confidence from my coaches and teammates. And it just allowed me to, to put on a heck of a career, I guess, from that point, man. And then, you know, at the end of the, that year, we played in the national championship versus Tim Tebow and those guys out there in Florida. We came up on the short end of it, but that was one of those moments where I was like, you know what, I'm here. I'm playing on the highest level in the in college atmosphere against some of the most elite players, man. So I knew being in that situation, if I could produce at that level, then I could go on and make things happen, which I did. Yeah, Ryan, I want to talk to you a little bit more about that 2008 Oklahoma team. That was really one of the greatest college football teams of all time, really. It scored... You guys scored more than 60 points in five straight games. I want to know, like, what was it like to be a part of such a great team? I mean, the offensive line was incredible. That offensive line's literally, to this day, one of the best offensive lines I've seen in my life, Ryan. Yeah, it was definitely special, man. You know, I knew I was signing up for some big-time football when I got um, a scholarship to OU, and I accepted to go there. And I remember, like, the, in the summertime, just going in that, in the weight room. And I'm uh, this 160-pound receiver, and I'm seeing defensive backs that are 6'5", 240. And I'm like, yo, these, these guys are animals. So they definitely set the tone, especially for a young guy and myself. But like you said, man, we had a great team. We, had, we were stacked on offense, stacked on defense. Just about every person that touched the field that year had the opportunity or made it to, to the NFL. It was a great time of football, too. We were coming off of, I guess, football was coming out of the evolution of running, you know, the the I formation had the Adrian Petersons back there with the fullbacks. And then we had Kevin Wilson back in 2008 was like, you know what? We're going to speed this thing up. we got a Heisman quarterback in Sam Bradford. We got offensive linemen, tight ends, receivers, guys that can go and, and make some things happen. So coach was like, you know what? 
You guys are going to grind in the summertime. You're going to be in the best shape out of any team here or in the NCAA level, and we're just going to put up points. And so we we outmatch people not just with our ability to to be stronger than them or faster than them. We uh, we, we definitely were battle tested throughout the process, and we knew we weren't going to we weren't going to leave a play on the field, and we weren't going to leave any points as well. So, like you said, we scored a lot of them. Yeah, and that was your redshirt freshman year, right? Two thousand eight. Yeah. Now, I'm curious, during that fall camp or leading up into that season, was there any point where you were just like, (laughs) you or the coaches, anyone, you guys were like, we're going to be pretty sick this year. Like, we're going to tear it up. Yeah, well, we had Sam Bradford, man. If if you got to, you know, at least during that time, man, Sam Bradford was a 6'5 dude, great arm, great mechanics, and he was the one that was going to lead our team. So if you got a guy like that calling the plays and throwing the ball around, it would make any off coordinator or receiver excited. So we definitely had that going from the 07 to the 08 season. And, and then the defense was great, too. You know, it was not just a one-sided deal. You know, at, at one point, the Big 12 did have some defenses. And our team was uh, one of those guys, that, the teams that, that bent things, not just in the Big 12, but really in the country, running behind Brent Venables, the defensive coordinator at the time. Yeah. And you got to catch passes from, honestly, two quarterbacks that really spun some of the prettiest spirals I can ever remember in Sam Bradford and Landry Jones. And I remember when Landry was coming out of high school, he went to Artesia in New Mexico when he was a recruit. To this day, I was just amazed at how pretty the spirals that both of those guys spawn. What was it yeah. like catching balls from both of those guys in practice? Because they, they just both spawn gorgeous balls. Yeah, they, they were great you know, all the time. You know, As a receiver, whoever's throwing the ball, I don't care. It's, it's always a pretty ball. And that goes back to my elementary days. But, man, these, those guys were special. Obviously, they didn't make it to OU and then on into the NFL if they weren't great athletes, man. So, Sammy B had a pretty ball. He had great presence in the pocket. I mean, he had good timing with the ball. And then Landry he had a strong arm, and you know he was he was a Cali- or a New Mexico guy, real nonchalant. So he would just go with the flow, and hey, let my guys do their thing, and he got the ball to us, man. <laughs> That's awesome, man. You know, doing research for this interview, I found a lot of really fascinating things. So we'll get to that. <laughs> I was very interested to hear that you played AAU basketball with Blake Griffin. Talk to me a little bit about that team when you were little. You told yeah. me that you guys didn't win the national championship, which I was kind of surprised to hear. But talk to me a little bit about yeah. that team and how ridiculous you guys were. Yeah, it, it was a special time. When I think about basketball days back in elementary, and I believe that was the fifth grade year that we went to Cocoa Beach and played in the tournament out there. You know, there's teams from all over the country, you know, and I remember – being in the locker room or, or on the team with, with Blake Griffin and we're the next Oklahoma Nexus team and we had some of the best basketball players from all over the state, guys that could shoot, guys that could dunk. And this is not dunk, but, you know, in fifth grade, Blake Griffin was touching the rim. And, you know, you got little guys like me that could steal the ball or play defense. And it was just – it was a dream team. We might as well call it, you know, there was a draft for fifth graders. And so we got to travel to Cocoa Beach, taking some of the best teams in the country – we held our own. You know, I want to say we, we came in eighth place out of, I don't know, a hundred and so teams. But yeah, anytime you got Blake Griffin on a team, even at what, 12 years old, you're going to make some, make some noise. And we definitely did that. Blake Griffin could touch the rim in fifth grade. It, it's too, yeah. He was, he was just a different cat, you know, he was a homeschool <laughs> guy. So he had to be 
on his toes, bouncing up and down with the jump rope all day. But he he was he was definitely our star on the team at that time. And funny thing, he, he taught me how to do the moonwalk. I'm in, I'm in love with Michael Jackson, which many people are. He taught me how to do the moonwalk. And I remember we're out there at the beach, Cocoa Beach, wherever the hotel was. And he taught me that, and I tell that story to this day. Dude, that is so crazy. That's some great info on Blake Griffin that I've never heard. <laughs> He's a clown, too. I was seen that. Do you guys still keep in touch? Not as much, man. Uh, you know, social media here and there, but, you know, we both got our own lives and we're doing different things. But at some point, I'm sure all circles will pass again. Sounds good. I saw that you high jumped 6'11 in high school. Talk to me a, a little bit about your high jumping career. I thought that was one of the more ridiculous stats of you that I, that I found. Yeah, man, everyone, you know, obviously people know me for, you know, playing football, you know, that's what I've been known to do. But I, I did a little bit of everything, and I tried to excel at a high level. And so, you know, as a lazy athlete, most of us would go from football season to basketball, and then our off season was either back to football or track. And so we took track because we felt like it was less work. And, you know, I, I got out there, and Coach was like, hey, Ryan, we want you to run the 4 by one or the 4 by 4 and I'm like, man, being a knucklehead at 16 years old, like coach, nah, man, I'm I'm just going to do the high jump. You know what I mean? I'm just going to do the high jump just to be lazy, right? Well, anyway, I, I figure out that I'm good at the high jump. And so, you know, I I placed this state numerous times, broke high school, or I guess my school high jump records. And, you know, I guess the rest is history, man. I'm, I appreciate you bringing that up because many people don't know about that. Dude, 6'11". The reason that number really jumped out to me, and I remember when I was messaging you on Instagram, I was talking about Andre Iguodala because I remember the second Andre Iguodala was in was drafted, Jay Bielis talked about how Iguodala high jumped six eleven in high school. And did he do six eleven? I I couldn't believe it, dude. I was like, oh, wow. oh my god, this dude, dude's a I, freak. <laughs> I was trying to get to seven feet, and there was this guy every year. I want to see he was from Edmond Memorial or one of those schools up there. He had to have been six five. And he was just clearing seven feet. And I'm like, man, if I was 6'5", I'd do it too. But yeah, I kept trying to get seven. And I just could not get to seven, man. <laughs> man, that's crazy. So another guy out-jumped you at 6'11"? Yeah, I came in second at state two times in a row. What? Yeah. That's Unfortunately, wild. man, yes, for sure, for sure. Man, I don't, that's crazy, dude. You high-jumped 6'11 and get second place? Second place. And the crazy <sighs> thing is, is, you know, he's, He's not a city on the other side of the state, but we don't see each other all year. We've got about 10 different matches all year, and I'm winning all my my tournaments. He's winning all his tournaments, and then it's like, all right, we're at the same place at the same time. Like, what you got, bro? You know? And so he beat me two years in a row. Yeah. Dude. He did, and I'm like, all right. but I was like, you can have that. I got football. You can have that. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's, <laughs> yeah. I would have been, been so me, upset, dude. 6'11 in second was, place? It was one of those things. It's like I, I just went out there just to, to be a lazy athlete, just to be honest with you, you know. Just let me do some high jumps. You can hang out over here uh, on the mat all day and happen to be good at it. So the first year didn't really make me mad. You know, I'm like, all right, I got you next year. You know, I was just playing around. Then I, I start working on my steps, you know, and I've got a coach. And it's like, all right, do this, do this, do this. I'm trying to get better. And he still got me, still got me. When you were coming out of high school, I, I saw that you were offered. You, you've talked. We've talked a little bit about how you were such a great athlete. Saw that you were offered a scholarship to play both football and basketball. Talk about that a little bit and the decision that you had to make. 
Yeah, so I was I was primarily football. You know, it was all you know. I was I was a defensive back my whole career. Obviously, played receiver as well. A bunch of teams wanted me for defense, and I had so many offers. And I guess at the time, you know, teams were like, "Yo, you're good at basketball. You can come here and play both ways." So a lot of them weren't official scholarships for basketball, but because you were essentially saying, "Hey, you can play at this level on both sides," and it was really a an incentive for me to come. I wouldn't say it was official, like, "Oh, Ryan." come here, you get to go play both ways. Well, anyway, I go to OU. They said I could play both ways, and, you know, that never happened. It was like, yo, bro, you're 165 pounds. If you're trying to play football, you need to be in the weight room in the offseason. So that's pretty much how that went. But, yeah, I, I had interest in basketball, man. Um, any sport I played, I just tried the ball. You know, I always looked up to, to older guys. You know, um, obviously you had um, what Kobe Bryant at the time. You had some of the greatest basketball players ever to look up to. So I wanted to be that guy, even from the Blake Griffin days in elementary. But, yeah, football was the one that stood out. I thought I was the best there. My, my, my family did as well, and we went that route. And so you were pretty dead set on Oklahoma the whole time. The, I, this was another interesting fact that I found about you doing research was that Oklahoma was the last team to offer you a scholarship. I, I was pretty blown away by that. Yeah. And that was really surprising to me. Talk about that a little bit. You know, looking back on it now, uh, even still to this day, you know, the University of Oklahoma, if you play in their backyard and if you're not Gerald McCoy, for instance, or Jermaine Gresham or Sam Bradford, then they're going to wait on you. So when I came out my senior year, I was the third. Um, they ranked me as the third best player in the, in the state of Oklahoma. And they offered the one and two. Oh, you offered the one and two player. And I don't know if they wanted to make sure that they didn't get too heavy on Oklahoma because they wanted to keep their you know, the recruiting lines open. So they started looking in Texas. All of a sudden, one of the guys they didn't get in Texas did, fell through. And so I'm the next guy right here, literally two miles from the university because I grew up here in Norman where the University of Oklahoma is, of all places. So they were like, oh, we, we've got this guy in the bag, which essentially they did because you don't want to leave that type of uh, that type of option to go pretty much anywhere else in the country at that time. So it worked out for them. You know, it worked out for me too. Yeah, I, I saw that you were rated, Rivals.com rated you as the number 11 DB in the country coming out of high school. Can you talk about that a little bit and uh, yeah. how much you, you use that as motivation as uh, people viewing you as a defensive back coming out of high school? Well, yeah, so um, the school I went to, uh, Norman High, we, we pretty much on offense, we had the two receiver set. Either two tight ends, one tight end with a fullback or a wing back, and the quarterback was always under center. So it wasn't the spread offenses that we're seeing today. So I, I had little production on the receiver side, but as a sophomore on the defensive side in varsity, I led the state in interceptions. So that essentially just put me on the map like, hey, there's this young cat. He can play some ball. You know, I was not existing on offense. My sophomore year I had 14 catches, you know, a couple touchdowns. It wasn't anything special. Not that I couldn't get it done. It's just that's not the offense we played in. So on on defense, everyone knew, okay, he led the state his sophomore year. He led the state his, his junior year. All right, this guy must be a defensive back. And then all of a sudden, my, I had four, 19 catches my junior year. Then my, my senior year, I had like 58 catches for 1,000 yards, and I scored on just about every play. I played running back. I played receiver. I pretty much did it all. And then they're like, okay, this guy can play receiver too. So that's kind of how that whole thing transitioned. But, yeah, I balled on both sides of the ball. Yeah, I'm curious about uh, the hardest anyone ever hit you in your whole career. The hardest. Okay, with that being said, one does come to mind. I don't know who hit me. This was um, – I've got a lot of hard hits. I've got some that are in camp, and I've got some 
in a game. I'll give you both. So there's this guy named Brett Bowers. I'm a freshman at OU. We're on the we're on the practice field. First time we put on the pads, and there's this safety. He might have been a junior at the time. And he's just licking his chops like, oh, this young cat's running down the field. I'm at receiver. He doesn't know what's going on. The ball comes up, and I'm literally jumping for the ball. And he's not even worried about the ball. He's just blasting me. <laughs> and I was like, all right. That was my aha moment. Like, yo, these dudes are out here playing hard. Well, anyway, that one hurt. I'll never forget that. And I see him probably once a year. You know, we always bring that up and laugh. Good thing he didn't, like, make me want to retire. But um, I did another one. 2009, I think it was versus, it was the Sun Bowl. Versus Stanford. Stanford. First Stanford, I'm back on a punt return. I think I did like a fair catch, and some dude just runs straight through me. It seemed like we were about to all fight out there, but yeah, that one wasn't pretty either. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's funny. What was the craziest thing you ever saw on the field? Like in high school, pros, and college, where in college or a game where you were just like, that was ridiculous. Like, I can't believe that just happened. <laughs> like like somebody got hurt or like well, just like play. an amazing an amazing <laughs> play by like an incredible player like Calvin Johnson someone like oh, that yeah oh geez man uh, that's a that's a loaded question man I see so many special things and some things that are routine or special because it's a big moment you know well let's rattle off let's question. rattle off some of your uh, favorite ones we'll we'll do top yeah. top five top five for some other guys other guys making plays yeah. Okay, we'll see. We got DeMarco Murray versus Texas. I can't remember what year it is. He's probably on the 40-yard line, just crossing the 50, jumps over a dude, sprints all the way down. I'll give you another OU Texas. We got Demel Fleming out at corner. Texas throws the ball to their to the receiver out in the flat. Demel's like, no, I'm not about to tackle you. I'm about to rip this ball out of your hands. He rips the ball out of his hands, and he runs and scores. See, we got my boy Moses Madu in the Big 12 Championship versus who are we playing? Not Colorado. Was it Colorado? Uh, we were up in, in Kansas. Uh, I can't remember who we were playing. Well, anyway, I think it was Missouri. He gets the ball on like the 40-yard line. He runs through the hole to the left. He's got like two dudes chasing after him. Another dude dives. He does like a little Heisman hurdle, runs in. I think it was like one of his like one of his first starts of the year. He went out and balled that game. Jeez, what else do we got? Let me let me give you two of mine because I, I amaze myself sometimes too. I'm not going to lie to you. Sure. It's always crazy because like we ball on the, on the field and there's so much adrenaline and you get in the zone. And you're like, oh, I don't really know what happened. I know everybody, everyone's excited, but we scored. And then you go home and you read the newspaper and watch ESPN Top 10. Right. There. So it's like, wow. Yeah, so I guess the, the final two, man, one of my favorite plays was probably my first year, my first game versus Cincinnati. I think it was like the second quarter. Sam Bradford steps back. I run like a wheel route about 50 yards down the field. Sam drops back, just throws the ball. He had no business throwing the ball. It's completely covered. Anyway, I jump up. I catch the ball. I start celebrating before I even get tackled or pushed out of rounds. That was another one. Jeez, man, I got, there's just so many, dude. I, that was four. That was four good ones. Let's leave it at that. Okay, that's fine. You know, <laughs> and I tell you, the one time, I remember I was messaging you about that time, you threw Sam Shields, one of the sickest shoulder fakes I've ever seen. And you know, it, oh, it, yeah. it's, it's funny that I mentioned that because I thought you had actually scored on that play, but you I didn't. Did it, was, it was over 30 yards, and I looked at it again. Apparently, I guess you got injured out of bounds on that. I, I forget exactly how what you got. What game was that? Miami. Oh, yeah. You know what? I actually played that game. No, I did get hooked that game. I, I broke my scapula. I just remember. Yeah, I don't remember that. But yeah, I watched that play away. I don't remember that one. I remember you shook <laughs> Sam Shields up so bad. I was convinced that Miami's defensive backs coach just 
they weren't good at all because <laughs> it, Sam Shields, that was that was one of his first games as DB because he was actually oh, really? a receiver. He was a receiver, and I'll oh, never really? forget He's it because he went on and played for Green Bay, right? Yeah, yeah, and dude. I, paid, I mean, when I was at Detroit, I played. I lined up against him there too. And, and the funny thing was, is they switched. They switched him. They they put him to DB, and he was awful initially. He was so bad at Miami. I was like, "What are the Packers really? doing? Like they're out of their minds." And uh, and he had some years, though. He had oh oh, years. he 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 turned into one of the best DBs That's in the league. Wild. That's how I yep. knew that Miami's DBs coaches were awful because well, I'll, you I'll, think, it, it takes some experience too. You gotta get you gotta get beat enough times. You gotta hear enough different. <laughs> But philosophies of coaching that position, and you got to grow into it. Yeah, DBs. You got to give some coaches a little credit. DBs. DB is a tough one to learn. I I will give you that. It's it's really a a trial by fire position more than any other position on the football field. But I'll still never forget that shoulder fake you threw. You threw him a shoulder fake with your outside shoulder to the inside. And he oh, bit all over it let's at go. the line of scrimmage. That's wild. That's wild. Yeah. But anyways, let's get to the next thing. I'm very curious. I I got a thing for you about Calvin Johnson. I, I look at a lot of scouting reports and things like that because I'm just a football junkie. But the yeah. craziest, craziest thing I've ever read about Calvin Johnson, I was at Ohio U where I went to school and I'll never forget it because I was reading one of my draft guides and one of the players looked at my draft guide, looked at the scouting report under Calvin Johnson and looked under the section. It said, weaknesses, none listed. I was blown oh, away. I was like, what? Yo, he's, he's a next level guy. Let me tell you a story before you keep going there. And I love to tell this story. So as a receiver, press man running a plant is pretty much impossible it can be done but it's a hard route to run i remember as a rookie and i I had trouble running that route against press man as a rookie calvin johnson like all right let me let me go run this slant against this guy that's freaking call him a pro ball cornerback he just pushes the guy out the way runs a slant goes and scores a touchdown and that's how i knew there were levels to this receiver thing and he was a special athlete made it look like he was running the go route yeah calvin calvin johnson one i mean would you say uh, you you played with so many great players? I mean, would you say he's the best player you ever played with? Man, I yeah, well yeah, he's a he's a Hall of Fame type of dude. And the thing is, he came to work. He's humble. He just knew he was good. He he was he was gifted. He was just a gifted athlete, and he was a, he was a, a specimen. And you just could not. He, there was nothing he couldn't do on the football field. He was smart, and he was able to to translate that to the football field. Um, he stayed healthy for the most part, man, and he he, he made. My career, I enjoyed watching him, you know, up front and personal. And he, he made a lot of fans happy just watching him. And Detroit loved him too, man. Yeah. Calvin, one of the all-time greats for sure. I, I got a quote for you from an article that I read in the Oklahoma by a woman by the name of Jenny Carlson that yep. um, I, I was fascinated with this quote. I was studying your Wikipedia page pretty intensely and Oh, I'm gonna wow. read off. I'm gonna read off this uh, paragraph for you, right? All and because right. uh, it's just it it resonated with me because I'm not even religious at all, but this just it it resonated with me very strongly. 
All right, here it, here it goes. In a country that has long been the poorest in the Western Hemisphere and is still reeling from the effects of a massive earthquake more than a year and a half ago, Broyles witnessed poverty unlike anything he'd ever seen. People with no roofs over their heads, people with no running water, no electricity, no modern convenience of any kind. Everywhere he looked, he saw people with nothing, nothing but their faith. In that stripped-down, laid-bare world, people found joy in their faith. They smiled, they laughed, they celebrated. I was jealous. I wanted to be like that, Broyles said. And that's the end of the quote. So tell me a little bit about that trip to Haiti and uh, what a life-changing experience for you that was. Yeah, man, it was huge. This was before my senior year in college, so I think it was 2010. You may have mentioned that. Uh, there's this thing called Sooners for Haiti. The women's basketball team actually started a year before the football team went. So this was the second go around. The football team, about 15 of us, got invited to go to Haiti. I mean, you got to to rewind things and give you a little perspective on my life at that time. It's um, I was a freshman. I balled out at the highest level. And, you know, I was a freshman All-American. Uh, then I go in sophomore year, and I'm starting. Junior year, I'm setting records. Had 131 receptions. I think I led the country that year. So I'm on cloud nine. You know, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, what more could there be? You know, I, I'm, I'm the big man on campus. Not that I lived that way. I feel like I was a pretty humble person. But looking back at it now, I was in a pretty comfortable place, you know. And so we talked about going to Haiti. I'm like, you know what, I'm, I'm so excited. You know, I'm going to tell them about football and what we get done here. Then I get there. And I just was not prepared. I, I just felt like everyone lived like we do here in America. And that's why I have a passion for traveling now. You know, you just see so many different things. Well, anyway, we go there. And just long story short, like they said, you know, there were people that didn't have running water. There were people that I remember the, the vividly getting off the airplane, throwing our bags. We had to take our own bags off the airplane and throw them through a hole onto the terminal, whatever they call that thing. It wasn't even moving. And then we had shopping carts. And then right when we walked out of the airport, one of our mentors or one of the, the people that came with us, they said, hey, just keep moving. Don't stop for anyone. Well, anyway, we walk out of the airport. Everyone's like, money, money, help, help. And there's UN trucks with machetes and, and machine guns. And I'm like, yo, this is not what I expected. Well, anyway, we're driving about an hour to Port-au-Prince from the hotel or from the airport. And I'm just seeing the worst of the worst. You know, they've got this stream of water. And there's a family walking up essentially naked with bottles to, to take back to their village. And then they've got animals bathing in the same water. There's someone someone um, cleaning their motorcycle in the same water. And it was just so devastating. And then we come up on a hill, well, I guess they call it Obama Mountain or something like that, where a year before there were like 10 cities, thousands of 10 cities. We drive by that and there's still homeless people. Well, anyway, after doing this whole hour, this whole hour um, trip, and I'm just so devastated because I'm like, yo, I did not expect this at all. We pulled up to um, Mission of Hope, where there's a bunch of orphanages and whatnot. And the first thing we do is we go into church. So we go into church and everyone... They probably got the best clothes on. They're the only pair of best clothes on, and they're worshiping to God. And I'm sitting here like, you guys are like, do they not know like that they're poor? Do they not know? And so it just changed my whole perspective on life. And still to this day, it's, it's definitely ingrained into me. It was just a crazy scene. And, you know, it was a beautiful thing, too. They, they loved Jesus Christ no matter what they had. It just humbled me when I came back. You know, I was a little bit more grateful. I started donating. I started getting rid of things. And I think that's what transitioned me on to, you know, some of the personal finance things I do to this, to this day. 
That's a pretty good transition, Ryan. I, I've listened to the what's it called? Bigger Bigger Pockets podcast. Was, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dude, those guys on the Bigger Pockets podcast was hilarious. But ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening to this interview, you have got to go online and listen to the Bigger Pockets podcast because Ryan Broyles literally smiles ear to ear for about 50 minutes talking about nothing <laughs> but real estate. The man yeah. loves it. Talk about real estate. How many properties do you have now, Ryan? I know on that podcast, I think I think you said you had over 40, but that was four years ago. So you might have a yeah. lot more than that now. Well, I have, I don't, I don't know if I have, I feel like I have half of what I have now, but I have, officially I have 49 now. I've I've sold since that time, but yeah, 49 now around that little portfolio. But yeah, like you said, that video, man, I just love, I love real estate, man. I, I love personal finance. I love having some type of control over my finances. And you got to keep in mind, I was asking my whole life. It was like, hey, Ryan, do this, do this, do this. Eat this, run this. Oh, this plays going to you. So I, I really never had control outside of, um, you know, making my day-to-day choices. So then at some point it was like, okay, I can, well, at least helping me financially, I can invest in a property and then I can massage the numbers to work out for myself. So now I have some type of control. So once I learned that after retiring, it was just an addiction for me. Is there like a certain type of property? I, I saw that you really like buying distressed properties. Is there, is there any one type of all the different types of properties that <laughs> you like buying? I mean, I know you, you like it all like I, in that podcast. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I've definitely honed in on what I do now, Beth, and it is distressed property. But we, we like properties that, that make money at the end of the day to keep it that simple. But yeah, distressed single family, multifamily is, is our niche. Now, you know, with changing markets, we'll figure out different ways to maneuver, which we've done over the past. But yeah, we like distressed properties. We like to go in, fix them up, add a little bit of value, a little deferred maintenance, and then get the top end tenants um, in the property, whether it be a 600 unit property uh, a month or thousand you know we just like to have the control to go in and fix it up the way that we we feel tenants would like that's awesome so you live in you live in dallas texas now no i'm, I'm in norman oh Back you're home. in norman okay yep, i yep. you know i saw on instagram i don't know somewhere on the internet that you posted yeah. uh don't you own yeah. like a bar in norman yes i got a bar called the porch um right here on campus corner we've had it for just over two years now um i think it'll be two years actually this summer um, so it's been fun. It's been a process, man. I'm, I'm, I'm more of a real estate guy, uh, but I couldn't pass up that opportunity. That's awesome. Which of your former Oklahoma teammates do you keep in touch with the most? Uh, mostly the receivers, man. Uh, Kenny you know, Stills and Kenny Stills yeah, and Kenny. Sterling Shepard. Yeah. Yeah. Still talk to those guys. I'm a group message just about every one of them. You know, I still got some of the older guys that I talked to as well, but yeah. And, and then all my pretty much, Half of our my recruiting class in 2007, we still keep in touch. And then everybody comes back for the spring game. And, it, and it's not just the four-year guys that I played with. It's the four years after me and the four years before me. So it's a, it's a huge – it's an awesome – it's an awesome organization to be a part of. And I don't think – I think as we get a little bit older, we start to realize how special it was to, to play for the University of Oklahoma. Yeah, Oklahoma football, I have to – it's really – some of the most yeah, amazing wow. football that I've ever seen, really. It's just so much fun to watch. It's like football porn. You can't you can't not watch, <laughs> you know? Year, every year we got some players out there. Dude, man. you it's guys got just incredible athletes every year. I'll never forget my buddy. My buddy was watching DeMarco Murray's highlights, like coming out of high school, uh-huh. out of Bishop Gorman. 
DeMarco yeah. had a guy wrap his ankle, literally had both arms wrapped around his ankle, trying to drag him out of bounds. DeMarco Murray literally did like a 360, spun yep. out of it over the boundary, stayed in bounds, and ran for 10 extra yards down the sideline. Yeah. So I've got a similar story. And when you talk about spinning out of a tackle, DeMarco Murray did that in the southwest end zone versus Oklahoma State. I don't know what year it was, but he's essentially 10 yards from scoring. A guy comes up, he spins, about to fall. He's like hopping on one leg. Then he does a front flip into the end zone. It was so special. So special. <laughs> I, I, know, I, know, <laughs> I know that play. I got a story for you about Sterling Shepard, dude. I'll never forget yeah. the name Sterling Shepard as long as I live. Yeah. I mean, I, I loved him because he played at Oklahoma. But yeah. a story about Sterling, I was so fired up to watch Barry Sanders' kid on TV. Oh, ba yeah. Barry Sanders' kid played with Sterling Shepard in high school. So yeah, I'm like, yeah. oh, man, I cannot wait to watch Barry Sanders' kid. This is going to be incredible. Anyways... Uh -huh. Next oh, thing I know, Sterling Shepard has three catches for over 100 yards, and they're all wow. touchdowns. Oh, beautiful. He, yeah, he, he's a special player. He's still doing his thing in the league, too. The way that Sterling Shepard timed his vertical leap in that game to this day, I was <laughs> yeah. blown away, dude. I was like, my God, this guy is ridiculous. And That's I didn't even wild. know about Sterling Shepard until I watched that game. Yeah. Well, what's crazy is when I was at OU, they kept talking about a Sterling Shepard. He's in, he's from Oklahoma City. You know, I'm I'm playing ball at the college level. I'm like, all right, okay, okay, yeah, cool. He's probably good. <laughs> and then you know he gets here, and I'm like, I'm I'm removed a year, and they're like, Sterling Shepard in camp is doing this, and he's doing that. I'm like, all right, so this this is the truth, and then obviously we got to see that throughout his career. Yeah, that's awesome, man. All right, Ryan. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me, man. I, I really enjoyed it. And I will talk to you soon. I'll, I'll keep in touch, all right? Okay, sweet, man. I appreciate it. All right, take care. I'm your host, Wade Peary. I just want to give a final few thank yous to some people that have been working with the podcast so far. My man, Mr. Nick Meyer. He's going to be doing some interviews and analysis with us in the future. And my man, Mr. Jeremy Marcus. The kid is an absolute savage with the graphics. The kid has greatness written all over him. I cannot say enough great things about Jeremy's graphics. You can check his graphics at DFF Graphics on Instagram. You can also find our Instagram page at Flow Theory Podcast. On Instagram, you'll see the logo, and we will post great graphics of upcoming guests. I cannot wait to see all the different graphics that we get built in the future. And just wanted to say a final few words about Mr. Ryan Broyles. I uh, cannot thank Ryan enough for being on the podcast. One of the most surgical route runners you will ever see, not to mention some of the best hands I've ever seen in my life. I literally do not remember a time at Oklahoma when I remember watching Ryan drop the football. It was a thing of beauty watching that man suit up for the mighty Oklahoma Sooners and 
my Detroit Lions. So what can I say? Just been an honor to have you on the podcast. And he's a man that not only achieved greatness on the football field, but has achieved greatness off it as well with all of his real estate ventures. And I cannot, cannot say enough great things about him. A man that is truly an inspiration to us all, Ryan. Class act and going through the whole process interviewing you really has just made me love you that much more. So we will leave you with one more clip of Ryan's record-breaking catch that made him the all-time receptions leader in college football history in 2011 against the Kansas Jayhawks. Toby Rowland with the call. Good fight and good night. Deep for Ryan Broyles down the right side. He's got it. There's the record, and that's a touchdown sooner. You've been listening to the Flow Theory Podcast. You can listen to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and tune in. 